Hi, listeners. It's Lainey from Crimes of Passion. And today I'm teaming up again with Molly Brandenburg from Conspiracy Theories for a special deep dive into the life and death of Princess Diana. A note before we begin. This episode includes discussions of racism, murder, and death that may be upsetting for some listeners. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In July of 1997, photographers descended on the French Riviera to capture pictures of Diana, Princess of Wales, and her new boyfriend, millionaire Egyptian filmmaker Dodi Al-Fayed. They caught Princess Diana and Dodi strolling along the streets of Saint-Tropez, swimming in the sun-drenched seaside, and later kissing on his yacht. Publications everywhere published the red-hot photos of the couple flirting on the boat's deck. One agency scored a staggering $6 million for the image of Diana and Dodie's on-deck makeout. For the next month, tabloids itched for more photos of the couple. Photographers hounded them, following them relentlessly and stopping at just about nothing to get their shot. So when the couple died in a car accident one month later, with a flock of paparazzi on their tails, many blamed the photographers. But in the years following their deaths, someone close to the couple revealed a much bigger conspiracy, implicating an untouchable British establishment, the royal family. Welcome to Princess Diana, the Royal Special, a three-episode podcast special presented by Conspiracy Theories and Crimes of Passion. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And I'm Lainey Hobbs. Today, we're bringing listeners of both our shows together for a miniseries examining one of the British Crown's most controversial figures, Princess Diana. On August 31st, 1997, she died in a tragic car crash in Paris, along with her boyfriend, Dodi Al-Fayed. But all these years later, many still believe it wasn't just a road accident. Some think that the Princess of Wales was killed. So today, we'll investigate the clues and conspiracies surrounding the fatal crash, including murder plots allegedly orchestrated by the British royal family. Next time, in our final episode, we'll look at how Diana's remarkable life and death impacted the royal family and the world for years afterward. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. On August 31st, 1997, around 12.30 a.m., Princess Diana's Mercedes crashed into the Pont de la Mont underpass in Paris. Seven minutes later, around 12.37 a.m., medics arrived at the scene. The driver, Henri Paul, and Dodi Al-Fayed both appeared to have died on impact. 
Diana and Dodie's bodyguard were still breathing. But the circumstances were grim. Diana's arm was dislocated and her body was in a twisted position between the front and rear seats. As the medics worked to free Diana from the Mercedes, she went into cardiac arrest. Dr. Jean-Marc Martino and his crew of medics immediately performed CPR and shocked her with a defibrillator. 18 excruciating minutes later, Diana's heart began beating again and she was stabilized. The medics moved Diana into the ambulance where Dr. Martino gave her a more thorough exam. Her injuries were more extensive than he originally thought. She had multiple fractures on her dislocated arm, a wound on her right thigh, and trauma to the right side of her chest. And as stable as she initially seemed, Diana's blood pressure began to fall. Around 1.20 a.m., the doctor alerted dispatch that Diana's symptoms suggested she may have internal bleeding. She would need immediate transport to a nearby hospital. The dispatcher physician had two options for the princess. PTA Salpetriere Hospital, located four miles away, with the staff trained to handle multiple injuries, or Hotel Dieu Hospital, which was closer at two miles away, but less equipped to handle this type of case. The physician chose PTA Salpetriere, the hospital that was further away. Diana finally arrived at the hospital after 2 a.m., nearly an hour and 45 minutes after the accident. The doctors rushed her into surgery. They found that she had a torn pulmonary vein and the impact of the crash had moved her heart from the left side of her body to the right. The surgeon sutured the tear and massaged her heart to no avail. Around 4 a.m., they called it. Diana, Princess of Wales, was dead at only 36 years old. As the world awoke that morning, people across the globe mourned the woman known as the People's Princess. It almost seemed unfathomable that the most famous woman in the world could die so suddenly. The shock left many wondering if Diana's fatal crash was really an accident or if there was foul play involved. But finding the truth would take time. British police didn't plan a formal inquest since the accident happened in Paris. Meanwhile, French authorities launched a formal investigation that could take years to complete. Without any answers, the public was left to speculate about who was at fault. Many wondered if France's healthcare system was to blame. After all, it took a full hour and 45 minutes for Diana to even reach the hospital. But the doctors defended their decision. In places like the U.S. and U.K., paramedics stabilize patients and bring them to the nearest hospital right away. But in France, they prefer to treat the wounded person at the scene and only then take them to a hospital for further care. In addition to blaming the doctors who tried to save her, some blamed Henri Paul, Diana's driver. Others blamed the paparazzi for chasing the Mercedes down into the underpass. And others thought the real culprits were hundreds of miles away from the scene, at Buckingham Palace. 
On September 3rd, 1997, only four days after Diana and Dodie died, CNN aired a report called Conspiracies to Kill Princess Diana. The program repeated Egyptian headlines, theorizing that the British royal family killed the couple because Dodie was Muslim. Newswires and tabloids also questioned whether the driver, Henri Paul, was driving drunk and why Queen Elizabeth seemed indifferent to Diana's death. On the internet, people congregated to discuss who killed Diana and why. The online chatter grew so intense that Usenet news groups, the Reddit of the 90s, created a bulletin board specifically for Diana conspiracies. Within three months, the board quickly filled up with 8,000 posts about every possibility. In the 24 hours after her death alone, over 90 websites cropped up, with many focusing on crash conspiracies featuring alleged photos of the tragedy. The speculation ran wild because people were hungry for answers. And perhaps no one wanted them more than Dodi's father, Mohammed Al-Fayed. The charismatic Egyptian billionaire owned several iconic properties, like the British department store Harrods and the Paris Ritz-Carlton Hotel. But he was also a grieving father, and like any parent, he found it hard to accept his eldest son's sudden death. He later told Vanity Fair magazine, What do you do? I can't rest till I find out who did this. Six months after Diana and Dodi died, Mohammed Al-Fayed released a bombshell statement. He told the press he believed the couple was killed. And because this came from someone close to the couple, the world wondered, could some of these conspiracy theories actually be true? Coming up, new evidence prompts British police to investigate Diana's death. What could be more shocking than uncovering the dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Molly from the Parkhouse series Conspiracy Theories. Each week, we take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction, revealing that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. The rise and fall of J. Edgar Hoover, 75 years of Roswell, the tragic death of Princess Diana. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may be just outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. In February 1998, Egyptian billionaire Mohammed Al-Fayed declared to the press that his son Dodi and Princess Diana were murdered. In several TV interviews, Mohammed said that Dodi had proposed to Diana the day they died. He claimed the couple had planned to announce their marriage and a baby on the way on September 1st. Allegedly, they were killed because the royal family didn't want Dodi, a Muslim man, becoming stepfather to the future king of England. In response to Muhammad's interviews, the royal family issued a rare statement, calling his statements unhelpful and upsetting. 
Even so, it was hard to ignore that Muhammad's statements aligned with some of the rumors floating around, like Diana's alleged pregnancy and the royal's supposed disapproval of Dodie. Considering that he actually knew the couple, his interviews should have carried more weight than speculative online forums. But instead, the British media painted Mohammed as a conspiracy theorist. Rather than taking his claims seriously, the media turned his accusations into a circus. By June, the Scottish newspaper The Daily Record accused British TV of using Mohammed's conspiracies as a ratings grab. Then, in September 1999, French authorities formally declared the crash to be an accident. The investigation absolved the paparazzi of guilt in Diana and Dodie's deaths. They dropped all charges against the 10 photographers who had been suspected of causing the crash. Instead, they placed the blame on Diana and Dodie's driver, Henri Paul, who drank alcohol and took antidepressants that night. But the investigation didn't give Mohammed the answers he was looking for. The French inquest only looked into the roles of the paparazzi and the driver. No other potential suspects. Understandably frustrated, Mohammed appealed the French decision several times to no avail. He kept urging the royal coroner to do their own investigation, but they refused. Then, in October 2003, a member of the royal household came forward with a bombshell. That month, The Mirror published a letter from Diana to her butler, Paul Burrell, written a few years before her death. She allegedly wrote, My husband is planning an accident in my car, brake failure and serious head injury in order to make the path clear for him to marry. The note changed how everyone saw the case. This was a letter in Diana's own handwriting from a close member of her staff saying Prince Charles wanted her dead. By this point, the Metropolitan Police estimated around 70% of the UK population believed Diana's death involved foul play. Officials could no longer ignore the accusations. So on January 6, 2004, the royal coroner launched an investigation into the theory that the royal family conspired to kill Diana and Dodie. The project's codename was Operation Paget. Nearly three years later, in December 2006, Operation Paget released its findings. Their 871-page report investigated every single aspect of the crash. First, Investigators looked into Muhammad's claims that Diana and Dodie were engaged. Specifically, he said they'd picked out a ring in early August of 1997 at Raposi Jewelers during a trip to Monte Carlo. Muhammad claimed they needed to get the ring properly sized, so the store sent it to Italy for modification. When it was ready, Dodie was going to pick up the ring in the Paris Raposi store on August 30th. But when investigators interviewed witnesses to corroborate the story, no one seemed to remember it the same way. The jeweler had varying memories of Diana and Dodie's visit in early August. In some testimony, he claimed to have been there himself during the visit. But in other interviews, he said that his brother and wife were the ones who'd seen the couple. Many people close to the couple, including Diana's bodyguard, didn't recall the date they went to look at rings, let alone specific details, like what the ring looked like. 
the whole situation seemed odd, so the investigators dug up closed-circuit security footage to get to the truth. On CCTV tapes from August 30th, Doty is seen in the shop for about seven minutes. He looks through some jewelry with the owner, takes a brochure, and leaves. He didn't buy anything or take any jewelry with him. Still, even if Doty didn't buy a ring, he may have still intended to ask Diana to marry him. Diana's personal butler, Paul Burrell, said he spoke on the phone with Diana three days before her death. In that conversation, he warned her that Dodie was falling hard and fast for her. He would probably propose to her soon. But in response, Diana asked Burrell's advice on how to say no nicely. According to him, she said, quote, I need a marriage like a bad rash. Diana relayed the same quote to her friend, Lady Annabelle Goldsmith, the next day and asserted that her relationship with Dodie wasn't that serious. Many of the princess's friends remembered similar conversations with her during the weeks before her death. All of this evidence led Operation Paget to declare that there was no reason to believe Diana and Dodie intended to get engaged. But we should remember that at this time, Diana was the most famous woman in the world. The press and paparazzi followed her every move. So it's possible that she didn't trust anyone with the truth about how serious the relationship was not even her friends. After all, some photographers recalled a promise the princess made to them in Saint-Tropez that summer. You will get a big surprise with the next thing I do. In hindsight, many thought she was talking about marrying Dodie. Or perhaps she was referring to having a baby. Mohammed claimed that in late August of 1997, Diana and Dodie called him with big news. She was around five weeks pregnant. However, the only evidence he had was his word and a paparazzi photo taken the previous month. The photo was taken on July 14th when Diana was in Saint-Tropez with her sons. The image shows her in a leopard print one-piece bathing suit with her stomach sticking out. It looks like it could be a baby bump. But if Mohammed's timeline is correct, Diana's supposed pregnancy wouldn't have even been conceived at that time. More to the point, the photo was taken before she and Dodie even started dating. After sifting through information about her menstrual cycle and contraceptive use, Operation Paget decided there was overwhelming evidence that Diana wasn't pregnant. But the only way to really put the rumors to bed was to examine Diana's corpse. Unfortunately, that was no longer an option. Diana had already been embalmed, and embalming fluids can cause a false positive on a pregnancy test. Diana was embalmed just 10 hours after she was pronounced dead. Mohammed accused the British government of ordering French authorities to embalm the body immediately in order to hide the pregnancy. Operation Paget disputed these claims, but some find it hard to take them at their word. Because, after all, the investigators were working for the very people at the center of the allegations, the royal family. Coming up, Operation Paget makes a glaring omission. Now, back to our story. 
Published in 2006, Operation Paget debunked claims that Princess Diana wasn't pregnant at the time of her death. It also looked into Muhammad's claims that someone in the royal family was after Diana. According to Muhammad, Diana once told him, quote, If anything happens to me, the person who has done it is Prince Philip. As we mentioned earlier, Muhammad claimed the royal family didn't want a Muslim to marry into their family. His accusations seem grounded, given Prince Philip's long history of using racist language towards Asians, indigenous people, and British Indians, among others. According to The Independent, Philip once used a disparaging term to describe Doty. And as further evidence, Muhammad said Philip voiced his concerns in cruel and threatening letters to Diana. But when investigators looked into the letters, they didn't get very far. Diana had apparently given them to her new age therapist and spiritual advisor, Simone Simmons, at some point before her death. But after the princess died, Simmons burned them, so the authorities were never able to verify their existence. Simmons told investigators that the letters from Philip arrived in 1993 and 1994, during Diana's divorce, and years before she'd even met Dodie. He also said that in those letters, Philip could be mean, but he didn't threaten Diana. Diana's butler, Paul Burrell, also recalled seeing the Philip letters before they were destroyed. Like Simmons, he told investigators that although some of the letters were cutting, Others were kind. He said Diana and Philip had a cordial relationship. Many of Diana's friends told investigators the same thing, that Philip didn't hate her and would never threaten her. But there was one friend who confirmed Philip didn't like Diana. Fashion designer Roberto Dvorak. Diana gave a tell-all interview to Martin Bashir in November of 1995 before traveling to Argentina with Dvorak. During the trip, she apparently told her friend she believed that the royal family would try to kill her because of the TV appearance. Dvorak asked her if she meant Charles, but Diana clarified and said she was talking about Philip. She supposedly said, I am sure Prince Philip is involved with the security services. After this, they're going to get rid of me. It wasn't the first time that year she'd expressed concern for her safety. Diana had apparently told her lawyer, Lord Victor Mishkan, that reliable sources had informed her that someone would tamper with her car brakes to cause an accident. The alleged intent wasn't necessarily to kill the princess, but to injure her enough to be declared mentally unstable. According to Mishkan, she thought it was a conspiracy to clear the path for Prince Charles to remarry. Technically, because Charles and Diana were divorced, either of them could tie the knot anytime they wished. But as long as both of them were alive, they wouldn't be able to get married in the Church of England again, meaning the church wouldn't recognize their future spouse. To the royal family, that was a big deal. Diana believed that Queen Elizabeth II wanted Charles to tie the knot with Tiggy Leg Bork, their son's nanny, but the only way for Charles to legitimately remarry was to kill or incapacitate Diana. Tabloids had been reporting on Diana's supposed rivalry with Tiggy for years before her death. 
Charles had hired the 28-year-old as nanny for the boys in 1993, after he and Diana separated. Newspapers and magazines fueled speculation about Tiggy's place in the family and her alleged disputes with Diana. At one point, Tiggy apparently angered Diana by smoking in front of the kids. For her part, Tiggy criticized Diana for her parenting. The Guardian quoted her as saying, Diana gives her children a tennis racket and a bucket of popcorn at the movies. I give them what they need at this stage, fresh air, a rifle, and a horse. By 1995, tabloids speculated on when Charles and Tiggy would marry, and people even placed bets on the wedding date. Diana may have taken those rumors to heart. In Diana's famous 1995 letter to her butler, Paul Burrell, which we mentioned earlier, she specifically claims that the royals might kill her so that Charles could marry Tiggy. It's an oddly specific message, but it's worth considering since Burl was Diana's main confidant. She once called him the only man she ever trusted. According to People magazine, handwriting experts said the letter's writing perfectly matched Diana's penmanship. But Operation Paget noted some red flags. First, the letter wasn't addressed to Burl or anyone specific. However, Burl told police that Diana left it on his Kensington Palace desk, which was where she always left letters for him. Another discrepancy is that he couldn't recall the exact date when he received the message. At first, he recalled getting it in 1996, but later claimed it was in October of 1995. When investigators questioned Diana's family and friends about the letter, many of them said the message was out of character or fake. And yet, the message lines up perfectly with what Diana said to her lawyer around the same time. And that's not all. There was a third occasion where Diana supposedly claimed someone was targeting her. One day in 1995, she called her therapist, Simone Simmons. Simmons recalled that Diana believed someone had tampered with her BMW's brakes. Afterwards, Diana wrote her a letter that read something like, Dear Simone, as you know, the brakes of my car have been tampered with. If something does happen to me, it will be MI5 or MI6 who will have done it. Lots of love, Diana. MI5 and MI6 are British spy agencies, and Diana accused both of trying to kill her. Mohammed Al-Fayed made similar allegations. He claimed the American NSA and CIA were surveilling Diana's phone calls. When they heard about Diana's engagement, they supposedly alerted MI6. Then, he claims, the British agents staged Diana and Dodie's car accident to prevent their marriage. Operation Paget concluded that there wasn't enough evidence to support these claims. In fact, the investigation spent pages debunking Mohammed Al-Fayed's theories and all of the conspiracies surrounding Diana's death. They declared that Diana and Dodie's crash was a tragic accident, not an espionage-filled murder. But some of the inquest dismissals seemed too quick. For instance, the police declared there wasn't enough proof regarding the CIA and NSA's involvement, but it's unclear how they reached this conclusion because the American agencies refused to hand over any paperwork on Diana. 
Similarly, the investigators squashed allegations of royal racism by pitting one Muslim man against another. Operation Paget interviewed Diana's ex-boyfriend of two years, Dr. Hasnat Khan, who was also Muslim. A British-Pakistani cardiac and lung surgeon, Khan dated Diana from 1995 until early 1997. For the most part, their relationship was private, and she even considered marrying him at one point. The investigators seemed to use Khan's testimony to prove that the royal family had no qualms with Diana dating a Muslim man. For instance, Khan said he didn't believe the royal family disapproved of their relationship or that intelligence agencies spied on them. He also didn't think Diana was in any type of danger during their relationship. Strangest of all, the police dismissed the allegations against Prince Philip without even talking to him. Apparently, investigators asked him for comment, but Philip refused. Operation Paget's lengthy report absolves the Queen's husband in only 10 pages, without input from either royal. And that has to be the biggest missing piece. The Metropolitan Police spent nearly three years and around $9.5 million investigating allegations against the royal family. Yet the only royals they spoke to were Prince Charles and Charles and Diana's son, William. That brings up a key point about the British royals. They're part of the UK government, the very same government as the Metropolitan Police. And the inquest itself was ordered by the royal coroner, which has led some online sleuths to wonder, did the authorities want to find real answers or protect the royal family? Even decades later, Diana's death is shrouded in questions and we may never have a satisfactory answer. These questions and the conspiracy surrounding them have become part of the enduring legacy of the People's Princess. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time with a third and final episode in our series on Princess Diana. We'll explore the legacy Diana left behind years after her life and death. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and Crimes of Passion for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Crimes of Passion and Conspiracy Theories are Spotify originals from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This special episode of Crimes of Passion and Conspiracy Theories was written by Mallory Cara, edited by Amber Von Schassen and Kate Gallagher, fact-checked by Haley Milliken, researched by Bradley Klein and Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Katovich. This special episode of Crimes of Passion and Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Lainey Hobbs. Thank you.